0: use of this opportunity, uh, Kone, just to welcome you on stage, Kone, is, Kone Becker, Professor Dr. Kone Becker. He's just such a wonderful friend of us a church family. Uh, we reminisced a little bit yesterday in 1997, we had our first Breaking Down Walls conference and Kone was there and he's been with us throughout all these years, just an incredible friend to this ministry, someone who's just been praying for us and someone whose words has been instrumental in shaping us as a, as a church family as well. And Gornay, most of you are aware, he's involved with Regent University, where he's dean of the School of Divinity, amongst the whole range of other things that I find difficult even just to pronounce. But uh, he's an incredibly busy man and he's, he's flown down. He's flying out again on Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday is a very short visit. We all just wanna welcome his mom and sister. Thank you so much for coming all the way from Clarksdorp to be with us, spending time with us. and. Um, Good night. We just want to honor you, thank you for being part of our family, and we look forward to the word that the Lord has, has placed on your heart. And uh, have a ball.
1: Amen. Hello. So great to be back home. I'm going to tell you, every time you do this to me, every time I come prepared with this great sermon, and then there's worship, <laughs> and I'm completely, utterly undone. I was almost crying like a prom queen, <laughs> just for a moment there. <laughs> It is great to be back at Shofar and, and I'm so impressed what the Lord is doing in your midst. And I'm going to tell you, every time that I'm here, I look at folks like Heinrich, who looks better every time I see him. That's incredible. By the grace of God and skilled surgeons, I hear. No, maybe not. <laughs> He's blushing right in front here. It's a marvelous, wonderful gift. I also want to thank... Um, this lady that started off, Mariette, is, is that her name? Yeah. Wow, how frightening. <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you for an introvert, um, people always think as, an, as, you know, since I'm a public speaker, uh, I must be an extrovert. I mean, this kind of stuff really frightens me, you know. They just <laughs> run up to you and kind of point the camera in your face. And it reminded me, this is a great introduction to the sermon, and, 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 and folks, I, I do want to say to you, something really unusual happened with me before, as I prepared to come to conf, Convergence. Typically, and, 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 and Henny kind of spills all my secrets, Henny knows too much about me, and Henny knows that typically, I don't know what God wants me to say until my feet touches the ground, right? I need to be in the place. This time, however, I had my sermon prepared four weeks in advance. This is so unusual. I don't know exactly why this is true. But tonight reminded me of some unusual things that I get to do that I'm very uncomfortable with. How many of you know that if you say yes to God, He will lead you to places where you will do what you don't want to do? Right? God is more interested in our transformation than our comfort. And one of the things that I get to do, our campus shares a campus with one of the largest television ministries in the world. And last year, as you know, there was this massive big election in America that took the world by storm. And I wanna be quite honest with you, I am obsessed with American politics. It's the best show on television, (laughs) by far. And it was election night, and one of the things that happened is that I was invited to be on CBN News Watch. This is live television, folks. And and they asked me, would you spend one hour being a commentator on what's going on? They sent me a whole bunch of questions, folks. I did my research, and I was ready. I had uh, some marvelous things that I wanted to share. And then while we were live on the air, the connection between this studio and the main studio in Washington, D.C. was broken. They did not know what was going on with the election. I'm supposed to comment on what's going on. And of course, marvelous as these anchors are, they turned to me and they said, well, we've just lost our connection. But Dr. Becker, since you are here, tell the world what is the number one problem in the church. Live television, right. (laughs) And typically, folks, and just so that you know, although I'm on television pretty much every week, I want to say to you, I'm one of those guys that have, I've got a face for radio and a voice for television, (laughs) right. It's not my natural gifting. And when that live camera comes to me, like Murray Head did, right, I get that kind of meerkat face. (laughs) You're aware of that, right? You just look not too sure. And and folks, live television really does not appreciate uncomfortable silences, which really is my gift. (laughs) I mean, I love to be in a place where you just say, hmm, interesting. It doesn't work on television. And here was the question, what's the one number one problem in the church? I'm so grateful for the grace of the Lord. And as she asked that question, it was as if the Spirit descended upon me. And this is what I answered. In actual fact, I got so fired up that they had to shut me down. <laughs> not once, twice. <laughs> I was not invited for a full month back. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable, Right. And this is what I said, the number one problem, this could only have been the Lord, in the church is the sin, and I'm going to introduce a new word for you today, the sin of monomania. What's the word monomania? It's a term that comes from psychology. It means simply this, to be obsessed with one thing. Folks, this is the greatest danger that we face right now in the church. Not only are we people that get obsessed with one thing, but we are neophiliacs. Do you know what a new neophiliac is? People that love the new. Every time there's a new wind of doctrine in the church, folks, we jump onto that doctrine and that's all that we teach. Let me speak to you about this sin of monomania. We would get obsessed with one truth at the exclusion of another. It's an extraordinary problem. One of my greatest heroes in the faith was the Christian philosopher Dallas Willard. Have you read Dallas Willard? If you haven't, shame on you. You should. In actual fact, I was really, really upset with him. We invited him to campus about four years ago, and then he went and died. I was so upset about it. I was about ready to write him a note and, and, until I thought, well, maybe that might not be helpful. <laughs> Dallas Willard made the same statement. He spoke specifically about the American problem and how prophetic his words were. He said the problem in America and the church right now is that Satan has divided God's truth into two camps. He said in both those camps, preach what he called a false gospel, an alternative gospel. This is gonna get uncomfortable just for a moment. And Willard said, he said there's the gospel of the political light, uh, right, excuse excuse me, let me go back. The gospel of the political left, he says, where everything is about love, 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 love. You just have to love people. It doesn't matter what they do. Just love them. Everything will be okay. And Willard said, that's not the full picture. He said, here's the problem. He says, if you only look at that and say, all that you have to do is accept people. He says, you can construct a gospel of sin justification. He said, but then there's the other gospel, the gospel on the political right, where everything is about forgiveness and holiness. He said, and then if you leave out love, he says, you can construct what he called the gospel of sin management, where you never get rid of your sin, you only manage it. Will I say the power of the gospel is the fact that none of these truths are excluded from one another. The right term here is pure. This is the problem that we face in the church. Satan has understood that we are stronger together than what we are apart. And so today we have all of these camps within the church. As a dean of a school of divinity, of theology, I get this question all the time. What are you? Are you a Calvinist? Are you an Arminianist? And, and I have fun with that question. I just say, Paul knew nothing about Calvin. <laughs> nothing about Armenianists. These are 17th century questions. Can we get to the place that we can get to to this extraordinary place where we can allow God to share with us his great truth? Folks, and this is where I want to start tonight. So in the first century, this was a problem. Right after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven, the church faced this question. What does it really mean to follow God? And right at the beginning of the church, folks, the church was still part of the synagogue. And Judaism was not a united group at all. There were multiple options. You could be a Sadducee or a Pharisee or a Zealot or an Essene or part of the temple grouping, or you could be a scribe. There were just numerous, numerous options. Satan understood that if he could divide, he could destroy the church. St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, great Augustine, which I have to remind you was African. You know, yes, I have to say it very carefully. Please don't tell my wife about this. My wife's Italian. And so whenever you're in Italy, they say, oh, great Italian, Augustine is painted with the white face. He was a dark-skinned African, right? Um. Africa, like all good things, right? And um, Augustine used to say the following. He says, the demon divides. The spirit unites. The demon divides the truth. The early desert father said the same thing. There's a desert father by the name of Evagrius Ponticus who who says a very similar thing. He says, you have to be careful to, to listen carefully what the Holy Spirit may whisper through your brother or sister standing next to you because you never will have the full truth. We need one another. So in that early context of the church, who was the first leader? I'm always sad to tell my brothers and sisters in the Vatican that it wasn't Peter. It's kind of an awkward situation, right? A number of years ago I had the opportunity to have an audience with the Pope, the current Pope, uh, Pope Francis. And um, folks, I have a gift. I have a gift for asking the wrong thing at the right time. Right, and he was very friendly and he kind of greeted, and, and, and of course, I'm not kissing no ring, but anyways, I uh, shook his hand and I'm, and I'm friendly. And he says, I am so grateful that Protestants and somebody probably uh, mis- misinformed him, he thought I was Lutheran. And so, he, I'm so happy that the Lutherans have come to visit me. <laughs> and folks, within a split second, I mean, I didn't miss a beat, and I said, Uh, Pope, is Luther still in hell? Uh, Which apparently was not the right question, right? (laughs) Our visit was cut short a little bit and I was never invited back. But in the early church, folks, the very first leader was James. And tonight for a few moments, I want to take you to James. James is an interesting little letter in the New Testament. But I don't know if you've noticed that often people don't read from James enough. You know, poor Luther. Let's, let's, let's get on to Luther just for a moment. It's the 500th year anniversary. It's appropriate. Right. And Luther called it a, an epistle of straw. He struggled with it. Although I, I really like Luther. I do want to say to you, however, what an extraordinary text this is. And James asked the same question. What does it truly mean to follow God? And it's interesting, James makes use of two words that I want to introduce to you tonight to describe what religion should be. Yes, words. Yes, folks, I I use the R word. (laughs) It's so funny how sometimes, you know, we play around with words. And I I know it's very comfortable where people say, Oh, I'm not religious. I love Jesus. Uh, My quick answer to that is don't be a fool. The word religion is a word that's used in scripture. And listen to what James says. He says, pure and undefiled religion. I'm going to just stop for a moment and look at those two words. Pure and undefiled. The Greek word for that word pure can also mean undiluted. In the early 2000s, I... I had the privilege of ministering uh, to a group of Christians out in California, and, and forgive me for saying this, Californians are interesting people. I have to tell you, a lot of hippies, just strange folk. And, and this particular ministry was connected with Bel Air First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood. It's, it's an interesting church, about 4,000 folks, half of them from uh, the foam industry, and the other half came from the pornography industry. Strange folks, right? And, and I was involved in their camps, and, and for about five years, every year, I would fly out to California, and I would do the camp for them. And I remember that time, I I just moved to America, and I was really exercising, and I was running again, and I was kind of as thin as an anchovy, right? I I was really looking good. (laughs) And this gives you a bit of a context, and I remember ministering to these folks, and the one day I was really feeling good about myself, and, and you know, ministry will help you with pride. (laughs) Right? <laughs> it's a marvelous antidote. And, and, and I remember I spoke to the one person, and he, this is what he said to me. He says, Pastor, the reason why I like you is that you don't care what you look like. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Marvelous, right? My son says it a little bit different. He says, oh, Poppy, you have the body of a chess player. <laughs> mm. True, (laughs) it's very, very painful, but there it is. (laughs) Anyways, this very same person that I spoke to worked in the juice industry. Actually, in fact, orange juice. And and, you know, sometimes you meet those people that you should never ask a question of because they give you too much information, right? And I I was just being polite, and I said, well, tell me about the juice industry. And I got a four-hour lecture on what makes for good orange juice. But folks, quite interesting, just two things. Number one, it should not be diluted. It needs to be pure. Folks, that's where we are in contemporary Christianity. R.C. Sproul once said it this way. He says the problem with Christianity today is not that that we're not everywhere. He says we're 3,000 kilometers wide, but three centimeters deep. Everywhere but shallow, diluted. The second problem apparently with orange juice, which made me stop drinking orange juice for quite a while, is that it's very difficult to keep other stuff from getting in it. And uh, during the third hour of lecture on what is good orange juice, he said to me, you will be amazed at how many insects end up in your orange juice. Thank you very much. It was the same here that I heard that apparently all of us eat one spider a year. That just seems wrong on every single level, right? (laughs) Me and spiders, no, no, no. Anything with more than two eyes should be killed (laughs) right away. But here it is with orange juice, folks. What you need really, it must be pure and it must be uncorrupted. No foreign substance in it. This is what James says, what we need. He says, pure and undefiled religion is what? James one twenty seven. Listen carefully to what he says. He says, just two things. Take care of the widows and the orphans. There's love and action. But secondly, he says, and keep yourself unspotted from the world. There's holiness. America's at the strangest place it's ever been, I think. I've had the privilege of living in, this, in that great country. And, and folks, it's one of my primary values. When God puts you in a country, love the people. Now, I'm still having a little bit of trouble with the country music. Right? So pray for me. <laughs> you know, I listen to the country music. Oh, you all know Franz Johan. Right? Pinar, Pani. Do, do you all know Pani? Pani sends his love. Um, Pani's one of my students now. Punny loves the country music. No, I I mean, he's got even the boots and the hat and the whole thing. God help us all, right? And he even bought a ticket for me to some kind of country show, and I said, There's no way I'm going. Because here's the problem what happens in the country music, right? It's my cow was dead, my wife left me, my beer's warm, everything is terrible, right? It's just pain, 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 pain. It's terrible. But you have to love the country. And, and, and folks, now that I live in America, it's extraordinary. America's being torn apart into two camps right now. The one camp says, the only thing that matters is that you love people. Do not judge. And the other camp says, holiness. We are losing the sense of who we are. Church, the demon divides. Spirit unites. And yet James says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, that you take care of the orphans and the widows, and yet you keep yourself unspotted, undefiled from the world. It's not either or, but both. And tonight the question is, how do we get there? So if you brought your Bibles, and apparently we have some text over here, I lost my glasses, <laughs> right? So I've got some of the very old glasses and I just tried them on this afternoon, but they don't even work. So we might have to go and do some stuff. But I wonder if you can open your Bibles to James chapter one, just for a few moments. I'm gonna to read to you over here and I'm gonna say by the grace of the Lord, if we can get this up here, that would just be extraordinary. And verse 20. Now what's marvelous about James, folks, is that James actually tells us how to get there. In James 1 verse 20, let me read it to you. (gasps) There you go. I can read it. A miracle occurred. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, lay aside all fulfinance and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Just stay with me for a moment. Which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Go forward. Whoever's there at the back, you are my favorite person. Esty was my favorite person until 7 o'clock. And so you are now until 10.15. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets. What kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you think he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless, pure and undefiled. There it is. Pure and undefiled. Religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. But now the question is, how do you get there? Well, folks, if you paid attention, you would note that James actually gives us an extraordinary progress description on how this pure and undefiled religion is formed within us. Firstly, James says, receive the word. Folks, let me help you here. None of us naturally love anyone. If you have been a parent, and if you've been married for long enough, you will know this to be true. Because of the world that we live in, folks, for the most part there's a secret hatred within us. I don't like to wait. It's one of my hardest things that I have to do. And sometimes my wife sends me to the post office just around the corner from my house. And every time I go, there's a long line. And folks, every time I stand in front, I stand in that line and I'm waiting and I'm waiting I want to be honest with you, because I'm leaving on Tuesday, but I, I just feel I can tell you the truth. I stand there sometimes with every fiber in my being. I hate everyone that's in front of me. And I just look at this person, oh, the way you breathe. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Anybody ever been there? Just the way people breathe, and you just want to say, oh, if you could just stop breathing right now, that would really be helpful. Scripture's very clear. Paul says this in Romans. He says, where do you you get the love of God? He says, he pours it forth. And where does it start? It starts, number one, by us receiving his word. Folks, if you want to be at a place that you've got pure and undefiled religion, that's the first step. You have to enlarge your capacity for receiving God's word. Somebody asked me earlier tonight, said to me, I I, I hear you in Taiwan earlier this year, and and this is quite true. Uh, One of the greatest surprises in my life is that God has given me a love for the Far East. I have fallen in love with the Chinese-speaking people, most extraordinary people in the world. I started to learn Mandarin, by the way. Yeah, don't get excited. It didn't go well. (laughs) And my friends over there printed out a hundred characters. And folks, I'm very happy to announce that I can read and pronounce 100 characters in Mandarin. 100 down, 10 million to go. (laughs) (laughs) I had a five little five-year-old Taiwanese lady, uh, girl, not lady, girl, who came up to me just the other time that I was there. And she looked up to me and she started to scream at me in, in Mandarin. And I said, can somebody just translate? This is what she was saying. How long will it take you? How stupid can you be that you cannot speak language? I am five and I can speak. But folks, the church that I'm involved there it's, it's an extraordinary group of people. And I had the privilege 12 years ago to be invited. 12 years ago, I went for the first time and I've been in Taiwan now 15 times. I go once, sometimes twice a year. And initially, when I got involved in this church, it was the biggest church in the city, a city called Taichung City. It's right in the middle. Taichung, actually, fact, means in the middle of Taiwan, right? Taichung. Chung is middle. See? There, I told you just Mandarin. Right there. Anyways, I'm in Taichung City, and at that moment in time, church was started by an architect and a psychologist. Both did not have much theological training at that time. And um, 400 people... It's massive. For Taichung, a city of now just over 3 million people. Well, cut 12 years later. I did a conference there just in March. And through streaming um, availability, they streamed my conference all over Taiwan and a large portion of China as well. And they registered 18,000 people in attendance. All of these are converts. From Confucianism and Buddhism, these are not Christians. And and every time people say to me, and and by the way, this church is just extraordinary, they've just planted 12 churches in Japan. Japan, yes, one of the most difficult places in the world. I asked them the other day, how's the church going? They said, Well, the growth is slowly. Most churches are around 250 people now. Folks, if you've been to Japan, you will know this is like monumental. What's the secret? I remember the first time that I I went to this particular church. They've planted literally hundreds of churches all over the world now. They organized the trip, and then they asked me if I would speak on the book of Obadiah. Yes, Obadiah, folks. And this is what they did. They said, we're going to keep you busy for about four days, and they and, and they scheduled 18 hours of teaching on Obadiah. Right. Now, folks, I am a professor in biblical studies, so I cannot exactly say no. <laughs> Here's a question. When was the last time you've ever heard a sermon from Obadiah? I've only heard one, and I preached it. There it is. And what was extraordinary for me was this church's ability to receive the word. They sit very carefully and they write notes. And folks, if you miss one word, they put up their hands and they wave at you. They now have, the last time that I was there was the funniest thing ever. They don't wave their hands. They've got a little flag for me now. <laughs> they have these little flags that they wave. It means you miss something. And this church just sits and they drink in the word of the Lord. I've done a course on Malachi with them. I've done a course on Deuteronomy. Uh, Yes, I did the course of Acts this year with them, and I'm going back next year to preach on Nahum. (laughs) Any? Nahum. (laughs) I'm already sweating, just thinking, what in the world do you do with that text, right? But what's the difference? These people understood that one word from God can change your life. When God spoke the world into existence, he said, let it be. One word of God created all of this that we can see. Receiving God's word. And this is where James says, this is where it starts. Listen, receive the word. Now here's the problem, church, for, the most, for most of us. We say we are word people, but no, we are selected word people. I can listen to any scripture you quote and the prayer that you pray and tell you which church you come from. We have scriptures that we love and others that we don't. And James says, this is where it starts. You have have to start by listening to the word. But secondly, he then goes on and he says, but be a doer. Be a doer. Now, for anybody that knows me, they'll know that I have a slight obsession with the 13th century. It's a problem. In the 13th century, folks, there was an extraordinary revival that took place. Technically, we call this revival a mendicant revival, but that's not important. I'll come back to that. No, I won't come back to that at all. um, (laughs) But in the 13th century, something extraordinary happened for 800 years before there were two options in the Christian world. There were two options in ministry. And at that point in time, they used the following words, a passive way of ministry in an active way. And the passive way were people that went into monasteries and prayed for God to make them holy. The active side were people that were out in the streets taking care of the poor, healing the sick, Doing works of love. And it took an extraordinary moment where God took a real scoundrel in the 13th century. A chap that today we know him as Francis of Assisi. But I want to say to you folks, Francis before his conversion was a rough guy. He was terrible at school. He really didn't know much about the Lord. And all that he was interested in was wine, women, and song. Uh, Some of you are followers of Francis before his conversion. (laughs) You are Franciscans, early Franciscans. Right there. And Francis had this extraordinary encounter with the Lord. And he went to his ministry companion, Claire, and he asked this question. He says, Claire, I'm not sure what what is it that I'm supposed to do. Should I be passive or should I be active? It's a good question. Should I go into a monastery and pray for holiness or should I be out in the street taking care of the poor and the sick? And Claire comes back. With a revolutionary answer that would shape the church for the next hundred years, she says both. Today, the church is being torn apart into two sections again. Those who love to spend time in worship twenty-four-seven, and all they want to do is worship the Lord, but they don't care about their families. They don't care about the poor and the sick. And then there are folks that are out there in the street reaching out to the poorest of the poor and healing the sick and and, and doing acts of love. But there's a very shallow piety. There's a very shallow relationship with the Lord. James says pure and undefiled religion is to do both. Now listen to what James says. He says, receive the word. And then he says, do the word. Let me tell you why I like Francis. Because people often come into my office at work and and I have some, can I say this? I have some icons, yes, as a Protestant. I have icons in the corner of my office and people get very upset about them. And I say, no, 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 no. They're just artwork and they're there to remind me. Let me tell you why I like Francis. Francis was somebody that understood that you had to, and get this, perform the gospel. He lived a very strange life. He didn't touch money. He didn't wear shoes. And for the first two years, he ran after lepers to catch them and wash them. I love that. Let me tell you why. This is how it happened. It's the 13th century. Francis has no access to the Bible. But one day he sits in church and he hears the priest read from the missionary command in Matthew's gospel. And the command says the following, Jesus says, go into every village of Judea. And this is what he says. And he says, preach the good news. Actual fact, the Vulgate that was read at that time says, go into every town and say this, peace and all good. And if you've ever received an email from me, Pax et bonum" in Latin. That's where it comes from. But then the text goes on and he says, take no extra shoes. Take no money belt. The worst part, take no books. That makes no sense to me. (laughs) You know, we have beautiful Moitians sitting right here in front, who's now Slimtians as well. And I just love the combination of both of that uh, in my brother's life. But no books? No books? And then the text says, And wash the lepers in the Vulgate. Not cleanse the lepers, wash them. Francis, at the end of the sermon, goes to the priest and he says, read it to me again. The priest reads it. He says, read it one more time. What is he doing? He's memorizing it. He misunderstands it. (laughs) Completely, utterly. And after about six times he did this. Took off his shoes. Says, I will never wear shoes again. He took off his money belt. Threw it away. Says, I'll never touch money again. And he said, where's the next leper? true story but out of this came a revival that literally saved the church and prepared the world for the reformation there's a wonderful scholar by the name of paul Sabatier who called francis an early protestant reformer uh, he was excommunicated by the church for that little statement <clears throat> thrown to hell to be precise but he's right listen to what james says receive the word Perform the gospel. Now may I stop you for a moment? James has not said anything about speaking yet. You know, it's sometimes difficult when you have friends in other religions, right? In other faiths, in other forms of Christianity. And I remember years ago I was serving at Rhema, and folks, our services were wild this lovely dancing over here. And by the way, I love it when people dance. Some people should dance, others shouldn't, right? <clears throat> I'm one of those people that if I know, I know, I say to my son again, you know, I said, I want people to follow Jesus. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, I do have one move. Do you want to see it? All right, you just did. This is my best dance move, right? I just stand still. It's a marvelous counterpoint to what other people are doing, right? (laughs) Anyways, I'm serving at Rehmer, and I had a good friend that served at the Vatican at that time as the secretary for world mission, Dr. Madge Kareki. She taught at UNISA for many, many years, and she went back to the States, and she came back. She was the first president of a Catholic university in Africa, female president, and Match has gone back now. She's Chicago, and we've gone to visit her a few times. And I remember Match says, I'm coming to church to you on Sunday. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this is going to be too wild a sermon, right? So I decided to take it to the 8 o'clock service, right, because nobody's really awake. <laughs> and you know what happens when you invite somebody that's not from your church? Of course, it was the wildest service ever. Well, Chris, you will understand the drama. Auntie Carol was playing piano. The second song, she fell off her chair. <laughs> Shoes everywhere. You've been in those services. You know what I'm talking about. <gasps> Shoes are literally everywhere. Every demon in Tang manifested in our church. <sighs> and I remember just, I just stood there, closed my eyes. We sat at the back. And I just went to my happy place with Jesus. (laughs) When we got into the car, I finally said, so match, what did you think of the service? And she surprised me. She said, I loved it all. She said, but one question I have for you. You said so much to God. When did you listen? Ouch. Yes, match, you're right. And here comes the third step. James says, receive the word, do the word, and then he says, control your tongue. That's the greatest challenge of our time. In the medieval times, a dark age entered the church. A dark age of too little information, illiteracy. We are entering a second dark age, folks, unless the Lord intervenes. A dark age of too much information. Too much noise. And here's the problem, folks. We speak and speak and speak and speak and speak. Every second day, I decide to get off Facebook. Because every day I've noticed that everybody has an opinion about something. We are like children running around with nuclear weapons. We have no control over our tongues. Folks, I'm going to say a radical thing. There's too much noise in the church. We have said too And James says, if you want to really learn how to do this, receive the word, do the word, control your tongue. Jesus was asked this question. What is the most important thing to do? He quoted from a prayer in Deuteronomy. This is in Mark's gospel. The prayer is called the Shema. And the Shema was a prayer that every Jew would pray in the morning and at the end of the day. Why the word Shema? Because here's the first word in the prayer. Listen. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God and therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind. Folks, the time has come for the church to have pure and undefiled religion. A religion that's not divided by acts of love or a search for holiness, but can do both. And how do we do this? We receive his word. We do his word. And very importantly, folks, we learn to control our tongue so that every word we speak. I'll end with this. I live in a house with four extroverts I'm a raging intro, introvert. You have to know this about me. My Italian wife, my son who's 99% Italian and 1% South African, you know. Being married to, the, to Italians is like being in Star Trek. It's like the book collective, you shall be assimilated, resistance is futile. And then I have two Italian cats who don't know that cats are supposed to be quiet. They just meow, 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 meow the whole time. And I had this long conversation with my son. I said to him, do you know that Jesus said that one day we will stand before him and give an account for every lazy word. That's what the Greek says, lazy word. How quickly do we speak? How quickly do we say? I hope you're not going to stand behind me because you're going to wait a long time. I've said a lot of stupid things in my life. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To take care of the poorest of the poor, the orphans, the widows. And to keep, let us pray. Maybe you've come into this place tonight and you have realized through the course of this evening. That your life is not right with God. There's a gift that God gives to every human being. And that gift is to know whether your life with God is right or not right. You don't really need a prophet to tell you your sin. We know. Maybe it was during the worship. Maybe it was during the preaching. Maybe it just happened right before you even came in here. Well, folks, in a moment I'm going to pray, and I want to give you an opportunity to, for God to, to pull you close to him. And you might ask the question, how do I make my life right with God? Folks, it is so easy, like all good things. You have to acknowledge that you are wrong and that he is right. That he is holy and you are unholy. Folks, it's only when we are ready to say no to ourselves and yes to God that paradoxically we find meaning and purpose in life words pure and undefiled religion is what we all crave so church with every head bowed and every eye closed I'm going to go through this beautiful auditorium beautiful sea of people and we're not going to do this very long but I'm going to ask you just one question if you want to make your life right with God while every head is bowed, every eye closed would you be so kind as to raise your hand up high so that I can see it just raise it up high, thank you, I see hands, I see hands, I see hands, just raise it once, once you've raised it, you can put it down, thank you, I see hands going up all over this place, the Holy Spirit is dealing with people right now, calling you forward, saying, this is what I've created you for, pure and undefiled religion, church, I'm going to go one more time through this auditorium, if you've not raised your hand, but should have raised your hand, very quickly, just slip it up, and I'm gonna pray with you. I know there's a war going on sometimes inside of us. Thank you. Right at the back, I see that hand. Folks, just I see that hand. Thank you. Sometimes a war is going on. Thank you. I see those hands. Sometimes it takes an extraordinary amount of courage. But since Christ died for us publicly, this is the least that we can do. One of you, be so kind as to open your eyes right now. I wonder if we can stand to our feet. Come on, stand up. Thank you. And folks, if you raised your hand or should have raised your hand, I'm going to ask that you do one more brave thing. Will you take your belongings, just get it out of your seat and come and meet me right here in the front so that I can pray not for you but with you. If you've raised your hand or should have raised your hand, just come forward and I'm going to pray with you in a moment. Folks, let's give them a good hand as they come. It takes an extraordinary amount of courage. Come, folks, yes. I love this. Come right, right up front right up front yes just come forward oh I love this folks that are coming forward you are my heroes tonight it takes a great courage to acknowledge that we need Christ but this is the beginning just come forward we will wait for you come folks come all the way in front there's a whole bunch of people that are joining us today there's some more folks coming we're gonna wait for them we're gonna wait for them praise the Lord for this How extraordinary thank you thank you thank you for coming we're going to wait more. We're going to wait more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Church, would you reach out your hands and can we pray together for these precious people? Uh, let's all pray with them. Let's all just pray for a moment here. Folks, just pray with me this prayer. Dear Father. All right, we can do better. Again, dear Father. Dear Father. Here, I here I am. I need you. I, need you. I acknowledge you. That I am wrong. And you are right. I am unholy. And you are holy. I am a sinner. You are a Savior. I acknowledge tonight that Jesus died for my sins and that God raised Him from the dead. And tonight I acknowledge Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Thank you for saving me. And from now on, my life belongs to you and you only. Amen and amen.